The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of In the Market Trenches. Glad to have you back. If it's your first time listening, we're available anywhere podcasts are available. You could also find us at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. You could find us at snn.network. You could find us on the SNN YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash snnwire. Gary, it's always good to see you back. Tip of the cap. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> good day to you. I, uh, Good to see you again in the flesh. That's right. It's a little rainy day. You're wearing your short sleeves. You've been hitting the gym. You know, I bought an Apple Watch. I'm taking vitamins. I'm all, I'm all, ju- I'm all jacked up and ready to go, baby. You're a new man. I'm, I'm you know. I'm just, so we have new new Gary. I've been drinking episode. coffee in the basement since 6 a.m. I'm ready to go. <laughs> all right. So with, with that, I mean, what are we excited about this topic? What are you, what are we talking about today? So today we talk about something just topical and relevant uh, with the passing of the election and sort of the, the vaccine news that we got earlier this week. Um, you know, the thing that we've been batting around here is talking about sort of, there's a few different things. There's sort of the value versus growth trade that sort of reversed itself over the last couple of days. Uh, there's the cyclical, the pro-cyclical versus, you know, sort of, I'm going to call it more. Wait, it's reversed. It's, I thought it reversed itself again today. Oh. <laughs> the value versus growth trade has been going on. I mean, that debate well, has been, been the, long, long standing for a that's while. That's a long standing one. And then there's also the reopening versus the work from home stuff. Right. And so, you know, sort of with, with the election in the rearview mirror, a lot of people were kind of getting comfortable with um, sort of, you know, more of a, a, continu- a, a t- continuation of the status quo. And then Monday we get sort of this vaccine news. And I don't know about like uh, the rest of our viewers, but my screen sort of lit up in all kinds of different directions based on what what basket the, the groups of stocks were trading in. And so like we had some work from home stuff, we had some pro-cyclical stuff, we had value oriented stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like, you know, people were basically unwinding a really sort of levered heavy growth, heavy work from home trade, and sort of flipping into some some version of a value, some version of a pro-cyclical reflation trade, and then some version of a reopening trade. And some of those I think are better than others. And what we spend a lot of time thinking about is like the last three years in particular have been really good for things that are more high quality or growth. Um, and anything that's sort of like dog wrapped in cat uh, has done poorly. And so... <laughs> It never gets old. <laughs> never, never gets old. I like old. to keep you surprised. <laughs> I mean, I've been I've been with my wife for 20 years and I supr- I still strive to surprise her every day. I hope when we've done this for 20 years, it's uh, it doesn't get old either. <laughs> um never changed. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, so we're so I, I think you've kind of outlined the, the discussion pretty well. Where do you want to start? I think the most, so I think that there's, there's elements of this that are sort of interesting and sort of what we've been asking ourselves is sort of, is this a rotation into more of the value names? Is that like a sustained thing? Cause we've seen, you know, we keep joking every time we see this reversal, it only lasts for like a couple of days. And then I send you inevitably send you a note that says, 
I survived the great value reversal of uh, November 10th, November 9th and November 10th, 2020, you know, like, and, and like, like one of these times I think we'll actually have t-shirts made or something because like, that's, that's sort of what's gone on. Um, But then there's this element of um, sort of the reflation trade and that may have a little bit more legs, but it's hard to say whether or not that it's got like, more permanently explain and, and, what the reflation trade is oh so so basically if we're going to reopen the so the reissue reflation trade i think is sort of somewhat linked to the reopening trade um because we've dumped a lot of money on the economy and we're pumping money through the through the money's basically free and so if we can sort of deal with some of the things that sort of created headwinds for the economy faster but we're not taking the free money away and we've already dumped this money on top People, people will naturally think that there's going to be some sort of reflation element there. Right. Now, I think you and I are sort of of the mindset that permanent inflation is hard to come by unless you've got a structural program and you've had some sort of some sort of structural change that's mm-hmm. happened. But but there's something there may be some legs to it, and you could see it in things like rails and aggregates. Aggregates meaning like crushed rock, um, but even like energy um, and financials. Um, but but that sort of ble- also bleeds over into the value trade. And right. so the value versus growth trade over the last several years has largely been one of tef- tech, technology and healthcare versus financials and energy. And one of those has done very well. And one of those has done very poorly and sort of the structural things in place that has led from one to do well and one to do poorly. I don't know that too much has changed about that. So where do you want to, where do you want to start with these? You want to, do you want to go back to, go through history and go through what the growth versus value argument has been over the past, oh, I don't know, several years, or you just want to talk about recent developments? I don't know. I, so we spent a lot of time thinking about whether or not something new is happening. And um, as it relates to value versus growth, I think the jury's kind of out on that because sort of the issues that plagued financials and energy versus say tech and healthcare, like those things are still there, right? right. And so it's so I read a couple of different books that were really influential in the way that I think about things. One of which is called um, Capital Returns, which is there was this guy uh, Ed Chancellor who collected all the all the hedge fund letters from this fund in the UK uh, from a period of time. And I for, I'm going to get the period of time wrong, but I think it's from like two. The book was put out four years ago. I think it was from 2004 to 2012. I may get the end. I maybe get the beginning and end slightly off. And that was actually a follow up to a previous book, which is called Capital Count. Mm-hmm. which actually um, uh, deta- was a collection of their letters from, I think, 93 or 94 through 2002. And so the, the, this, this fund's letters sort of detailed sort of investing on a theory based on the capital cycle. And what that theory is essentially is too much capital comes in, returns get competed away. Then you sort of have the, the economy come in, you know, the effects of you know, uh, capitalism Play themselves out where there's too much capital. Right. So returns get competed away, and then eventually, what you have is a down cycle, a distress cycle. Capital comes out, and that creates the environment for new capital be, to be treated better. Right. And so, as it relates to sort of energy and financials, like I think that you know there's some cyclicality there, and it's worth looking at ener- the, like those two sectors through a capital cycle theory. But the problem for it is, is like given all the things that the, the central banks have done. I think capital cycle theory is sort of 
elongated and it's sort of like there, you don't have the capital destruction events. Yeah. And so my problem with that argument, not that argument, but this idea that things are cyclical is you hear a lot of people look back on previous cycles and they say, well, the cycle lasts this long, this long, this long. We're in a cycle right now, but can someone tell me when the cycle is going to end? Yeah. And why is this cycle going to be shorter, the same as or longer than a previous cycle? I don't. I, so like if we took energy as an example, right? right. Like, so energy has been through a couple of like energy has been a terrible place to be for the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. And um, if we take a look at it, there's been a, their money fl- flooded the industry. And then we've had a couple of different fits and starts with, with the capital cycle. Right. And you've had a few different restructurings and a couple of companies have been through restructuring more than once, but you know, you had a, you had a down cycle, I think, was it first in four? Well, I don't think it was in 14. I think it was in 16 was the first real bad down cycle right. for, for energy. Yep. Um, and then you had another one in 18 and then you have another one going on right now. Yep. And so the problem with the down cycles in 16 and 18, in my view, is that they probably didn't last long enough to wash the capital out. Right. And so what happened was a couple companies went through restructuring, but the industry kind of soldiered on and capital didn't leave the industry. It wasn't long enough to really chastise chasing people. And like, and so this current go around, the question is, has the down cycle been long enough for something to be different this time? And I think that's an open question. So as we look at something like energy, you know, we're thinking about value versus growth and largely a bet on energy and, te- and, and financials versus tech and healthcare. Um, I don't know that that's true here. Do you think that, do you think, I mean, we're looking at basically an eight month down cycle I mean, we, it's an environment where we've seen oil prices go negative. I get that's because people couldn't take delivery of it and they were paying people to take it away. Fine. Fine. Right. But but still, like, has this down cycle been long enough for sort of that dynamic to change? And I guess my, my follow-up question that is, have we seen enough companies go 11 for that to really be the case? And, you know, if oil got back to $60, $70, does that turn the spigot on for a bunch of wildcatters in the American Midwest? What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think my opinion on this is I don't think the cycle has been long enough yet. I think we still need to see additional washout for the cycle to really go full yeah. swing. Yeah, I think the worst thing that could happen at this point is to cut the cycle short. Right. And maybe that could happen for a short time, but you're just sowing the seeds for another sort of. In a couple of years, we're going to go back and in a couple months, even right. like it's it's not it's, it's six, nine months or, you know, whatever it is. And so like. So like that's that's part that's a, that's an issue. So if we take this capital cycle theory, and those and those books, by the way, are excellent, excellent books. And they're pretty uh, easy reads. They're not long. They're um, very good books. The second one was was uh, very influential, and I read it, and I was like, these guys wrote another. This guy collected other letters. Let me buy that one. And uh, I actually, whoever turned me on to the first book, I owe a debt of gratitude because the set, uh, the the earlier book, I bought it early, and now I think it's on Amazon for like six or seven hundred bucks. Yeah. It's become like a hedge fund collect hedge fund guy collector item. Uh, and mine's all marked up, so I doubt I could sell it for six or seven hundred bucks. But it's like now I got the sort of this fun little thing, and like, well, it would sell for more because it has your your side notes. Oh, that's true. The side notes of Gary C. Reeby. <laughs> to the extent anybody gives a damn, a damn about what I think about anything, <laughs> give it a, give it a few years. <laughs> that also begs the question: Why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. I mean, this also plays into uh, so but then it bleeds into sort of the capital cycle theory for financials, right? right. And so there's too much capital out there. And so, so there's, and so like, I don't know that that fun, I don't know that anything has really fundamentally changed in that regard to, to sort of make that work better at this point. I think the, the best thing I could say is the jury's out on that, right? Right. Um, but then that sort of bleeds into something of like a reflation trade 
and uh, and like a reopening trade versus a work from home deflation right. trade. And that I think is a little less clear. And so, um, you know, a reflation trade, you can you have cyclicals, which may be value stocks. Um, and sort of what we've been sort of batting around is what are some sort of like the highest quality cyclical businesses there are that we should be taking a look at? Or what are the mo- highest quality businesses that really got killed from uh, a shutdown that um, will make it through the outside to the, to a reopening trade that we should be taking a look at? And that's something that I think we've spent some. And so when you look back and you assess kind of the how we viewed the shutdown time frame, I and mean, what do you think that our, what did we miss? What did we miss in our assessment of that time period? I think we missed one key thing. Um, and if we got this one key thing right, we're, we're perfectly happy with how everything went. I think on the whole, we're proud of how we how things went through the shutdown and the things that we did. But I would say that we missed one key thing. And I'm going to self-flagellate to call back to our previous episode of something that we we talked about with Eric. Other <laughs> Eric, E as we call e, him. Yeah. Uh, and um, I guess what I'll say is that we looked at all the comp- the, all the cash that these companies are raising in the debt markets, and some companies raised many billions of dollars. And we thought, geez, if with this shutdown's coming, uh, you know, they're just sort of going to burn through that. And for some companies, that was true. That was true of you know uh, hotels. That was true of airlines. That was true of uh, um, what's the other one that I'm missing? Hotels, airlines, and what? Travel agencies. Online no, OTAs didn't burn cash. Uh, it was. Uh, Oh shit! I'm blanking on this. Uh, there was one more that um, that I thought for sure was going to burn cash and and you know sort of consume the cash that they raised, but it was definitely airlines, hotels, and um, some other leisure stuff, uh, cruise lines, and what have you. Um, but other companies raised all this cash, and they largely what surprised us was that the cash that they raised sort of just sitting there on the balance sheet. They took the debt because it was available and not because they needed it. Well, it was they took the debt because it was available. They thought they might need it. They didn't realize what kind of flex they had in their cash burn and their cost structure. And a lot of that debt is still a lot of that cash is still sitting on the balance sheet as is the as is the debt that they took out. Right. And so but from an enterprise value perspective, um, the company's valuation didn't change. So they were so if you have a company that was worth, I'm pulling a number out of here, $20 billion, and they went out and raised $5 billion of debt to make through make it through the pandemic, and they didn't burn cash. Well, the $5 billion that they raised is still, still sitting on the balance sheet. So if they had a market cap of $20 billion and no debt going into the pandemic, the fact that they raised $5 billion and didn't spend it, from an enterprise value perspective, the enterprise value didn't change. And so that was a key thing. Uh, we thought companies would, I guess, maybe what we got wrong with that was we thought companies may burn more cash. Some companies would burn more cash than they did. So the OTAs, I thought they were the online travel agencies. I thought they were going to burn more cash than they did. And when you share well, what well, a very large OTA did recently, and that they actually generated cash. Well, that part, partly because they had to return cash for cancellations. Right. Uh, like we thought that would be an issue. Um, but as we went through these sectors and stuff, um, you know, certain companies had lower capital requirements and better flex in their cost structure than others. And certain ones surprised us. There were some in food delivery that surprised us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing I would say that we, we, we missed as it relates to the pandemic and sort of this reopening trade was some of these reopening stocks, they didn't really burn the cash. And, and so from an enterprise perspective, their valuation didn't change. Um, and sort of 
because they were able to make it through the pandemic, there'd be, there'd be a supply side issue post pandemic where there'd be less competition. And so maybe the company would be, there's a market share taking story on the other side, uh, or potentially, I think every company in America has justification for doing zero cost budgeting, which is basically you set your budget and you start with a blank sheet of paper and you justify every expense and build up. Right. And um, so you have some combination of a supply side story combined with better efficiency coming out of this <clears throat> whenever that happens into 2021 or 2022. And so as we look at it and we think about sort of, you know, what a reopening trade might be, you know, we're sitting around talking about what are the highest quality things for sort of a reopening trade that we can, didn't burn cash that we can sort of get comfortable with. And you know, there's some things on our list there. Um, and so what are you looking for on the reopening trade? So some of the reopening trade, it's already been priced up, it's priced in, but you, I don't know if you talked about it on another podcast or if it was one of our conversations, but you talked about this idea of having this kind of post draft sleeper, if you're using an NFL, your fantasy football analogy or fantasy sports so analogy. I like that, so I like that more for um, IPOs than I do for the re reopening trade. So like the reopening trade, so we get a second wave of this virus, there's case counts are going up and yep. um, you know, it, the, the death counts kind of held steady at where it's been for the last kind of month or two. But while the case counts have risen a lot, a lot of people got nervous about that. So some of the reopening trade type stuff sold off and we took a look at it and was like, okay, well, how do we lean into this reopen trade with some high quality stuff? And, um, you know, we thought about we thought about exact sort of some of the things to do there, and we sort of just looked at that as sort of a, a second bite at the apple. The sort of the post-type sleeper idea, maybe we could do a podcast on that because we've looked at certain companies that have come public, and what happens with them is they come public with a lot of expectations. Those expectations don't pan out. Doesn't mean anything about the company, but investors are disappointed. And it's sort of like a high draft pick rookie sort of comes into the NFL or the NBA or whatever, and. Uh, doesn't live up up to expectations in that first year, but the skills are still there and the promise is still there, but maybe, you know, people give up on it and you can sort of buy low sort of in your fantasy draft for the next year, you can sort of buy low on that player. Yep. And it's sort of similar conceptually with some of, with, with some of these, and we've done okay with that over time in certain, in certain respects. Um, but I think, I think as it relates to sort of the, re so you got to sort of distinguish the reopening trade from the work from home trade and like, I think there's some legs probably to certain aspects of the, the reopening trade. I'm, I'm, and I think maybe even the reflation trade may have some legs to it too. Um, I'm skeptical of the value rotation, generally speaking, but the reopening, the reflation trade, I would say, um, I would say that there's probably some, some legs to it. And, and I, you know, as we look at it, we, we sort of look at it as like, what's the highest quality stuff that we can own in both of those categories. And, uh, we sort of rack our brains to figure out what that is. Um, and then sort of the work from home stuff. I mean, I think one of the things people might be overestimating or are maybe getting wrong in their analysis of some of these work from home companies or over being more, more complacent about than they should be is, you know, maybe some of the churn that these work from home companies are going to experience, maybe that gets elevated as you get into 21 and the, the work from home companies, maybe they have a comp issue. And so, like um, a comparison issue, year over year comparison issue. And you know, maybe that's not fully appreciated either. And so like, there, uh, but as we looked at our screen on, was it Monday that the vaccine news came out? I mean, we were very impressed. We were very impressed by the vaccine news. We were very impressed by the data itself. Um, you know, there's questions about the manufacturing. There's questions about the distribution. There's questions about all oh, and how long, uh, you know, confers benefits and whatever else. Fine. Um, but you know, from our, where we sat, um, we think that that just represents a light at the end of the tunnel. You just don't know how far that way that light is. 
But I, you know, you know, they they said they can get 50 million doses of this out by year end if they get the right data in a couple of weeks. And then you get first responders, you get teachers, police officers, all the people that have to interact with people as part of their job to be doing this. And you know, if my kid can go back, if my son, I love him, but if he can go back to all day kindergarten, or, or he's not in all day kindergarten, he's in first grade now, because um, I get confused because they shut it down during his kindergarten class. But like, if he can go back to all day school, you know, that just my life returns to normal a lot faster, <laughs> particularly my wife's life to a lot faster. And, um, you know, the prospect of that occurring as soon as maybe, I'm going to say February, um, is, is a very, very appealing one. And, and so um, I'm sure there's going to be fits and starts to this thing. But when we looked at our screen on Monday, things were sort of going all over the place. You know, you see these high multiple stocks getting whacked because more, probably because of the reflation trade. Maybe some of them were work from home out related and, and sort of that's coming out of it. And then you see these reopening trade stocks really going bananas alongside of, you know, some of these value plays that, you know, um, more traditional value plays. And I think, you know, can you just talk a little bit about the, the leverage in some of the value value plays, well, the growth versus value plays and some of that unwind? I think that there was just a lot of leverage in the system built up around some of these things, being long one thing and betting against another and betting on that to persist for some time. And so we've seen that in a couple, and I mentioned, you know, I want to get t-shirts. I survived the great unwind of, I mean, there was one probably over a, a little over a year ago. We were looking hey, at- we can get the shirts. It's going to be a bunch of dates going down and X is going I'm, through. I'm, that I'm, wasn't I'm, it. That wasn't I'm looking it. at the momentum it. ETFs and, and seeing like that's the worst performing thing of the day and for two or three days straight. And, I'm, and I just- know that there's like a lever trade that's sort of being unwound and it's like and like you sort of you feel like you have a good handle over what you own and what basket it fits in but you don't always know until you see it mm -hmm. and so like you know i took some screenshots of some stuff that we were involved in and how it happened in the midst of that so i just could get a better sense of what baskets people had things in and um but like a lot of these things people are pressing their bets on one thing and and or both sides of it and sort of you get sort of this this unwind and you know, a lot of these funds, they, they manage it to a value at risk mechanism, meaning like, how much can I lose with a certain confidence interval on any given day? And you see something like that, and all of a sudden, all your risk models blow out, and you got to get the VAR down, and you got to get the leverage down to address that. And you can sort of just see that. And so like, I look at some of these things, and I go, is a 20% move in a day appropriate on this news, you know, on, on something that's already kind of regained a lot of what it lost in the, pan in the midst of the pandemic? And like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, it's, it's, I, I get the, all the arguments for, 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 for efficient markets and all that stuff. And I think that's, they're, they're generally correct ones, but you see things like that and you go, well, people had to know that we, that we've got 20 different candidates coming through the pipeline for various vaccines. And we were, we're expecting news on some of them. And like, I mean, the, sometimes the market just doesn't fire until it sees the whites in the eyes. And that's great. Uh, and on Monday, it's like we saw the whites in the eyes of the of the enemy, and 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 then we started firing everywhere and and scatter shot. And so, I mean, so these are sort of some of the things that we're sort of thinking about and working over as we go through. What are we doing? You know, how are we positioning portfolios and all sorts of things like that? Without getting without giving away any 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 particulars of what we're explicitly doing. Uh, you know, these are sort of the things that we're, we're thinking through and I'm more inclined than not to think that we're going to have, we're, we're, this is another one of those t-shirt printing, uh, you know, I survived the great value rotation of, you know, November 9th and 10th. Uh, but, you know, maybe not. I mean, we've seen the greatest snapback of 
the difference between large growth and large value or small value over those two days. I mean, we've seen some of the greatest divergence here to date on those two sides. And then we saw that compressed probably what close to 10% over the course of a two day period. Yeah. I mean, that's a probably a six Sigma event would be my guess. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Any, any other questions, thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I don't know where that leaves us in any of this. I mean, I think, um, I agree with you that the, the, the value issue and this growth versus value, it's going to continue to persist. Uh, the, the reflexive trading. On and when we Monday talk about growth versus value, we're talking about traditionally defined. Traditionally defined, quantitatively, quantitatively if you're looking at the style boxes, quantitatively cheap, you know, it's a lot of energies and financial versus your traditional quantitatively expensive growth. Names. Right. We would, we, we would consider ourselves to be value investors, but we would define it differently. Define it differently. Yeah. We would, we would define it as buying something for less than it's worth based on its future, current and future prospects, right? Rather than quantitatively cheap, which is more based on their past results. Yep. And so I think that's a key point of difference. And that has actually helped us quite a bit over the, you know, survive over the last, you know, couple of years. Yeah. But when we see these big days, I, I always want to be questioning ourselves and are we defining, are we defining what we're doing the appropriate way? And is this unwind just a reflexive trade of some sort, or are we starting into a new cycle or a new era of uh, where we may see some change? Well, I mean, the one thing we want to be careful. And I think I, I also I'm more mindful of it because we also on top of this, we had a regime change potentially. Well, the one thing we want to be careful about is we don't want to be zealots for anything. And right. so zealotry just sort of cabbages up the brain and it prevents us from thinking clearly. And so if we're approaching everything that we're doing with a growth mindset, meaning that we don't know everything that there is to know and we don't have icons, we don't have statues, we don't have any of that. There's we don't have sacred cows. Um, you know, we have thoughts and opinions, but we're open to changing those in the face of new or disconfirming evidence, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's the most important thing of all. And so we sort of, you know, sort of try to think deeply about what's going on as it relates to these two different things, these, I would say, three different things that are sort of um, in tension with each other, maybe working together with each other in some ways and in tension with each other and others, and sort of just figuring out like this is in the short term, mostly noise, what's the right long term decision to be making. Right. And so if we look out two years from now, you know, how, how do we want to have placed our bets three years from now? How do we want to have placed our bets? And um, nine times out of 10, when the answer that we come up with is nothing, nothing to do, uh, you know, but that 10th time, sometimes, sometimes that's something to do is really, really important. Yeah. So that's kind of what we've been thinking about. That's maybe a little high frequency, but uh, producer Bobby, was that too high frequency? Everything you do is high frequency, bro. Come on now. He's been drinking coffee, <laughs> coffee in his basement. What is it? Too high frequency. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things where um, you can get so in the weeds on it. And I feel like, it, especially if you're monitoring what's happening in the markets on a day-to-day -day basis, especially since post-election, you're just, you you could, at least at least for me personally, you know, you're, you can almost get lost a little bit in, in trying to understand exactly what's happening versus what, potentially could happen, you know, and, and really trying to diagnose, all right, well, does this mean values coming back? Was this a blip? Is this a re reflation versus reopening versus work from home? So I, I thought you did a pretty good job in kind of breaking down each silo and understanding as to what um, may or may not be happening. I mean, at the end of the day, the real thought process is like, all right, well, how do you take this information? And then, you know, um, I guess forecast it. You know, how do you think about it in that sense from a reflation reopening 
work from home standpoint. Yeah. Well, especially with the, especially with the regime change. I mean, that's, that's really a huge deal here. Regime change in what way? You mean in the white house potentially or, yep. or government? Yep. Yeah. I think as it relates to that, I mean, people are just happy to uh, right now, the most likely outcome is some form of divided government with nobody having a mandate to do anything. And I think that that's sort of, I don't know, it's sort of the Goldilocks outcome. And so in, at least in my, at least in my view, the scariest thing is when these people want to do something and they think they have a mandate to do it. That that's where I get I get really squirrely, and I don't care what color tie that person wears. It just, you know, it's um, there's a lot of unintended consequences from somebody who thinks they have a mandate and is able to act that way. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, if if things stay the way they are, you know, not not looking ahead to the runoff potentially in Georgia. I mean, it's pretty interesting to see what the focus is going to be on this from this regime like what even even if it even if the senate does flip it's 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 pretty interesting to think about like what well even what, if they lose both runoffs in georgia it's going to be 50 50 in the senate and you know you really only need one person from a more conservative leaning state to say you know what i'm not really going along with this it's, it's yep. still it's, it's still not really a mandate even though kamala harris will cast a deciding vote in any ties i think it's still hard to get 50 votes I mean, you can see it with, um, you know, this last go around there. I mean, they're, they're, you know, having to, you know, you know, uh, glad hand like two or three senators who are in states where like if they vote the wrong way on an issue, like states that don't necessarily reflect the leanings of the party, right. you know, you know, they're, they're looking at getting themselves run out of town if they, if they don't manage that properly. And so like, um, you know, when you count up the states and you divide by, you know, and you multiply, you know, and, and, and sort of you look at sort of there's two representatives from every state. I think the quantity of states that represent red is higher than the quantity of states that represent blue. That doesn't represent the population weightings of the country. But I think that that makes it more difficult for for something radical to really happen because yeah. those because a lot of these people, they value the seat over anything else. And so if you value the seat over and it's like, it's like professional management, professional managers, when they're in companies, they're, they, they tend to most highly value the seat itself. Right. That's different than like an entrepreneur who's got his name on the door who could give two shits of what you, what you or I think. But um, the guy that's a professional manager and worked his whole career to work up the ladder to get the seat, he just wants to keep the seat. Um, and I think it's similar in politics in a way, but. Um, well, so what are those? So what are those conversations you're having with with clients, you know, that, you know, post-election now dust is more or less settled. Um, yeah, they're going to do some recounts, and all that. But I think, you know, it's it's done. Right. Um, so what are what's what's been some of the client reaction to what's happening and how, how are you talking to them about, you know, future prospects, some what you're seeing right now, some of the stuff you just talked about in this episode? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have any short-term predictions for any of the clients, but what's been interesting is so my client base is pretty divided between Democrats and Republicans. And I think I may have said this on earlier podcasts, you know, no matter who I spoke to, it's, it was always, if if the other party wins, then the market's going to crumble, the economy's going to suffer, whatever. Um, I've spoken to a couple of the Republican clients this week, and I mean, listen, having a strong market right out of the gate, you know, whether... I don't know how you tease it out between a Biden win or the Pfizer news. You know, it's definitely, I mean, it was, it definitely was, smooths things over with them and it makes it more palatable. I mean, we had a whole week of election results before the Pfizer news. Right. And the, the, the market was pretty good. 
up through the Pfizer news and even Sunday night, like mm-hmm. Sunday night was actually going to be a continuum of what we've seen, which is these growth names working because right. like cubes were doing better than spoos right. and uh, spoos are the S and P 500 futures. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of, once the Pfizer news hit, it's sort of just, it's, it's like somebody screamed fire in a movie theater and all, and everybody started Everything running around. around yeah. uh, but, it, but anyway, keep going. Yeah. But I mean, so most people got out of the, got out of the movie theater. Everyone's kind of happy with the financial result of, of that. Um, and so that's smooth things over. Um, I haven't heard too many people that upset. Uh, maybe I just haven't spoken to enough clients yet. I don't know. There's sort of this old sort of aphorism, trading aphorism or market aphorism is that narrative follows price. So with the market doing so well in the, in the wake of the election, you know, the narrative is going to follow the price. Right. And so that's, that's, and so that's here. the title of this podcast. What narrative? <laughs> yeah, serious. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like you know, especially with everything that we're talking about right now, and this guy flexing that's, on camera right now, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really what it is. You know, it's it, especially because there's still so much uncertainty. I mean, you know, we forget we're still in the middle of a pandemic yep. with the worst numbers yet. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, I mean, hopefully there's a little light at the end of that tunnel and uh, we can be talking about something else six months from now. Yeah. That's for damn sure. That's for damn sure. All right. Well, All right. I mean, is there... wrap this up. do you have something else, Producer Robbie? Uh, no, I mean, I, I was just going to say final thoughts, you know, uh, before, you know, as, as uh, we close out here, but um, we could also land the plane. No, so final, final thoughts. We, we tend to have uh, strong beliefs, but weakly held ones. And, uh, you know, that's what we're... <laughs> uh, that's what we're trying to make t- maintain here as we sort of work through stuff. And that helped us a lot in the pandemic. It helped us a lot uh, in the years leading up to it too. So we'll, in the year or so, you know, everything that happened the year before and whatever. I can't follow that up. That was right. good. That was good. <laughs> Thank you everyone for tuning in. Producer Bobby, thanks for chiming in. We always like your input. Um, remember, if this is your first time checking us out, we're available anywhere podcasts are available. Check us out at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. Check us out at snn.network. Check us out on the SNN YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash SNN Wire. Thank you, everyone. Hope everyone's still staying safe, happy, healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great review us. It helps a lot. And uh, if you'd like to come on our show, reach out to producer Bobby or us. Take care. Take care. The information in this podcast is educational in general nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.